Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited we finally got to do this. Finally, it's been a few bloody reschedules. And it's I always find it so funny how when we hit record and we've already said hello to each other. And then I'm like, thanks for being here. <laughs> no, I do it as well, so don't worry. <laughs> and we never edit anything out of this podcast. We just try to keep it real. Amazing. I did the same with mine as well. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, so Marika, Also makes it so much easier from an admin perspective. <laughs> oh, my God. If I had, like, a whole team of people doing this yeah. stuff for me, I would be way more particular. But I'm like, nah, I'll leave that in. Yeah. That'll be fine. I love it how we, like, pose it as, oh, it's raw and authentic. Yeah, it's yeah. like, no, I'm just lazy and I can't do it myself. <laughs> totally. I've got no time for that, girl. <laughs> Um, Marika, we are here today to address the orthorexic culture in our youth. And I think it's like a, it's a subject that I really wanted to unpack with a professional like you, because I think that there's not a huge amount of awareness around orthorexia. Um, And it's something that I see every day in our studios, within our online community. And I think it's having a really detrimental impact um so I thought I would maybe start with like oh my god okay I'm gonna start again yeah welcome Marika thank you so much for having me thank you so much for being here I was just saying to you before I hit record how funny it is that like we've been talking for about half an hour and then I hit record and I'm like welcome Welcome. (laughs) I do the exact same on my podcast so you're not alone keeping it real keeping it real as little editing as possible in this guy Absolutely. I feel like that that's the easiest way to do it and save so much time. Yeah. If we had a team of people, it might be different. Definitely. DIY, baby. (laughs) It's all real here at Peaches HQ. Um, Marika, we are here today to address the orthorexic culture in our youth. And I thought it would be a really nice thing for us to unpack today. Um, A, because you're an accredited professional and you can actually give me some like hard facts on the matter rather than like um, how you feel about it. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of that on Instagram. Absolutely. You know, like we could grab a crystal and light a candle, but like, no, I would like to talk yeah. science. Um, and it's really something that I see every day in our studios. I see it in our online community. And our, I personally think it's having a hugely detrimental impact to like the 20 somethings out there. Um, So I thought it might be like nice for me to start with what my personal take on orthorexia is kind of like how I see it in layman's terms. And then you can kind of educate us on like what what it actually is. Yeah, Yeah. I'd love that. Okay, cool. So, cause I always find it really interesting to, to hear what people have you know, have the idea of something in their head, but like I agree. I'm, okay. I love getting in people's heads, so I love. I would love to know what what I think you think of it, particularly like you said with the exposure that you've had to it as well. So it'd be really yes. interesting to see what you've picked up from it. Yes, right. So it, it's obviously something that I see a lot professionally, but I've also seen it a lot in friends um, and acquaintances and acquaintances, and even just like people on bloody Instagram. I was going like, to say, oh, that. that's really interesting that you think that's a treat um so look my personal take on orthorexia is that it is a condition um belonging to the eating disorder family um where the sufferer becomes sort of completely obsessed with the concept of eating clean um and it often eventuates to them creating made-up food intolerances 
Um, like we've all got that friend who's suddenly like a celiac and, but no, oh, I can't stomach dairy and, oh, um, FODMAPs are actually ruining my life. Um, hashtag gut health. Gut health, I was about yes. to say. <laughs> and like, I feel like orthorexia <laughs> and gut health go hand in yes, hand. Yes, but like too far with it. And, you know, they quit sugar back in 2009 yep. and they just like, and I don't want to sort of make light of it too much um, because I really think it can take over someone's life and they miss out on experiences and, you know, really fun events because they're, like, in fear of not having control yeah. over what they eat and drink. So they're often turning down invitations to things or showing up but not able to actually be present. Like, they're more focused on the food that's going to arrive at the table rather than the conversation that they're having. Um, and often people become really malnourished. Like, I see girls all the time, thinning hair, hair falling out, energy levels uncontrollably bad like I'm talking they'll say they sleep for 12 hours and they wake up exhausted mm. and I'm like <laughs> got a baby on my hip going mm, I'm good <laughs> okay um you know that's not healthy that's not healthy for you when you're 23 like they're sick constantly mm. no strength like no ability to build muscle or complete like a, a challenging workout injury prone losing their periods yeah so that's kind of like how I see it and how I see it affect people. Um, can you kind of help our listeners to understand orthorexia from a clinical point of view? Yeah, so orthorexia, like you said, is, I guess, in that eating disorder family, it is relatively new in terms of the concept of it. It is actually not a like diagnosable condition per like the DSM-5, which is the... Um, I guess the diagnostic criteria that we use for many uh, mental illnesses, so things like depression, anxiety, as well as things like eating disorders. Um, Can you explain what DSM-5 is? Like, what does that stand for? So, oh, I don't even... Diagnostic something... It's the diagnostic okay. criteria that the psychiatrists use. Okay, so what you just said, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I should know what that stands for. I've never actually thought about it's it. It's always the way you always use these acronyms every day and then you forget what they mean. Yeah, I get yeah. <laughs> um, but it is... It's a set of questions, essentially, that you would do for, let's say, if you were getting diagnosed with depression or if you're getting diagnosed with anxiety or anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa. So what I'm saying with orthorexia, sorry, is that um, we actually don't have that clinical diagnostic uh, questionnaire, essentially. So it's not a condition in the sense that we can really pinpoint it at this point in time but I I'm hoping and I think there is work that's going into helping to develop that it's just working out well what are the best I guess questions to ask these people to make sure that we're pinpointing the issue correctly so it doesn't mean to say that it's like not a real condition it's just it's a new Mm -hmm. phenomenon and we're coming around to like how are we actually able to identify these people and then help them as well because it's no point in you know diagnosing someone with something if we Just can't actually slap a label on yeah, it yeah if we can't do anything about it like if we don't know what the appropriate treatment is after that diagnosis then that is actually not going to be all that useful just giving somebody a diagnosis yeah. and actually can be damaging for some people as well um but in terms of how it presents i think what you covered is yeah very on point with Um, what I guess we would see with people, this obsession with being healthy and this obsession with, I guess, quality, food quality over food quantity is really what defines orthorexia from something like anorexia, where it is around um, quantity and reducing the amount that you're eating or moving towards a smaller uh, body size. 
Some of the things that you did mention, though, I think could fall into other categories of eating disorders. So um, like the losing of the periods and everything like that is quite common with even things like um, anorexia and even bulimia and uh, binge eating disorder. Across all of them, it can sort of occur. But um, yeah, orthorexia, I think the easiest way to think about it is becoming obsessed with being healthy and it's actually really interesting. There's some really interesting research that is showing a crossover between obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, orthorexia, which... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When I first yeah. heard it, I was like, huh, because it is, it's like this obsession and compulsion with having this insane, like insane guilt or insane drive yes, to have guilt. To, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this, this, you know, we've all heard the concept of clean eating before, but, like, people are going so heavy with it. Yeah. To the point where, like, I, I don't know why there's pe- these powders on everything now. <laughs> like, what do they call it? Nutritional yeast or something? Oh, yeah. I'm like, can you just put some fucking powders Jeez. in my... Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's... I, it, I mean, I get it for vegans. Like, if that's... Yes, yeah, of but, course. <laughs> of course. But and if you... That's actually a really interesting point because I think that one of the things that we do with orthorexia is a lot of people do like you said come up with these intolerances like I can't tolerate that or you know I'm going vegan for this this and this reason and it's like well is that actually the reason or is it a I guess a form of restriction or a form of you know going to these more pure or more you know clean in their eyes foods yeah it's sort of I mean and I know that this is going to sound really harsh and I know that I'm coming at it from a perspective where I haven't been in their shoes but it seems to me that these these made up intolerances are just like a way of making their eating disorder more palatable in everyday life. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, particularly with eating disorders um, where restriction is involved, but even something like orthorexia, where it might not be restriction in the physical sense, like you're not restricting your calories, but you're restricting certain food groups. You are going to find sensitivities to things once you've removed them for a long period of time and then introduce them again. So if you haven't eaten dairy for three years and then you go and have a big chocolate milkshake, you're probably not going to feel amazing, but it doesn't mean that you have an intolerance to it. It's just that your gut microbes essentially haven't been exposed to that for a very long time. So it's not that I think this is where I'm like, it's not that people are making up these symptoms. It's not that they're saying, I mean, I mean, some people maybe, but a lot of the time these things are very real and have come about from a long period of restriction. Yeah. Yeah. And even the anxiety around eating, like that's obviously a hallmark of um, orthorexia, this fear and anxiety of eating certain foods. The way our gut and our brain are connected is that anxiety and fear is actually putting us into this um, fight or flight state which shuts down our digestion. So we're actually going to be less likely to digest food when we are anxious about a food. Therefore, we're likely more likely to get bloated or unable to digest that food. That is so interesting. Yeah. The mind and the gut are so deeply connected. So deeply connected, yeah. And so in your opinion, how dangerous is this condition? So I think this is why it's kind of flown under the radar a bit because – the danger is not as immediate as, say, something like anorexia nervosa, where death is a, a quite, I wouldn't say common, but it is a higher risk than something like orthorexia. 
Um, and even things like bulimia, where we are seeing, you know, changes in electrolytes and those sorts of things, which can really cause, you know, heart attacks and stuff like that. We don't have those intense uh, short-term acute risks with orthorexia. But the danger I find with orexia is that it can destroy your life, mm. which is equally as bad because living your life in fear of food, not being able to, like you said, socialise, feeling intense anxiety and guilt around certain foods is, and from the people that I've seen who've had this condition, orthorexia, it's it's literally ruining their lives. It's taking away the joy and pleasure from life. Yeah, and even from like a energy level. Yes. You know, who wants to feel sick and flat all the time? Yeah. Because you're malnourished. Such and that's a shame. That's it. Like as well, the depending on what they focus on with the orthorexia, there can be um, nutritional deficiencies like iron deficiency or you know energy deficiency essentially because they're not eating carbohydrates. Um, so yeah, it's really common to sort of see that low energy, like you said, uh, with orthorexia. Yeah, and in terms of how regularly you're seeing this like people dming you on instagram clients coming in for a session like is it common or is it still something that's sort of starting to bubble along the surface i think it's more common than we know about because i think a lot of people they're on this slippery slope of like i'm being healthy it's not that bad and then it turns into this obsession. So it starts as like mm. an eight-week challenge or like, you know, a little kickstart to their health. And then there's this slippery slope of becoming obsessed with it, whether it's, you know, tracking their calories and or, you know, cutting out certain food groups. So I think we aren't actually able to understand the breadth of how like significant it is because it is so normalised. Particularly where we live yeah. my god <laughs> I, I was actually going to say that when we first started recording is like when you're talking about the, the you see it a lot I was like it's also the area <laughs> the area and 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 our age group like the niche that we are in you know like it's incredibly common for me to like go out to someone and eat go out with someone and eat a meal and for them to completely demonize like yeah. a whole variety of food groups and the the scary thing I find is that it's actually glorified so yes. people like I'm looking after myself. Yeah. yeah. And and people will like praise people for doing it. Oh, you're so good. Like you've cut out sugar or like, oh, you're so good. I, you know, I couldn't do that. It's like, well, is it? Like, yeah. There's sort of a bit of a holier than thou for like, yeah. these, like healthy people. And I guess when we talk about the commonality of it, we also need to look at the flip side of this condition where we still have a very real problem in Australia, but also globally with obesity. So, of course, you want to encourage people to eat well and exercise regularly. Of course, you want them to choose premium food to fuel their body with. But it's so difficult to, like, pinpoint when someone's going too far. Yeah. So how do we do that? I guess for me, as an unqualified <laughs> person, for me, the way I would pinpoint it would be, when they're losing control in the sense of they're no longer able to on a Friday night order a pizza and not feel like shit about it or they're no longer to look able to look at food as something anything other than 
a test for them to be as healthy as possible and to tick every single box every single time. Like, you know what? Sometimes you're going to eat a meal and you're not going to hit your protein and your good yeah. fats. Yeah, you know? and you're not going to have a vegetable in a whole day and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but Coming from a dietitian, people. Had <laughs> <laughs> it here first. <laughs> um, no, I think what you said there is perfectly what we would describe it as and the way that I describe that is where it's significantly impacting your life. So where it's having an impact on whether it be your ability to socialise, your mental health, your physical health, what area of your life is it impacting and how much is it impacting? Because it is, like you said, it, it's also okay to choose to be healthier. Like you can choose to go, oh, you know what, I'm going to reduce my McDonald's eating or my takeaway or chocolate or whatever it is. And that doesn't have to be an unhealthy thing. It's not like we're saying that, oh, you're obsessional because you're not eating yeah, mackets. Yeah. yeah. So or even, I, and I think this is really like a topical conversation around like tracking calories. I don't advocate for it because I work with such a uh, orthorexic, I guess, audience. But there are people out there who can track the calories from time to time and it's not a problem. They just like to know approximately how much they're eating and they're not feeling guilty if they go over or under and they're not trying to control it so tightly. So it's, it is so different for each individual and I think the best way for someone to go about you know, understanding is it a problem for them, is, is it impacting on their physical health, their mental health or their social health um, and how much is it impacting on them. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And when we talk about a condition like this affecting our physical health, amenorrhea, did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Good. I actually have it spelt out in um, how to sound it out. Amenorrhea. Love it. My little notes. Um, So for those listeners out there who are wondering what the fuck that is, um, it's when you lose your period. Yeah. So, and it could even be like a lot of people think, it's you know never getting a period, but it could be, you know, you're missing every second one or, you know, you go multiple months without one, then you'll have one. So it doesn't have to be completely gone altogether. Okay. Um, and it could also even just be really long cycles. So, again, it's hard to tease out, well, is it something like PCOS or pregnancy or, you know, all of these things. So that's where I think if you aren't getting a regular period, it is important to speak to your doctor, like as the first point of call. And so why is it that girls who might be overtraining or under eating, why is it that they lose their cycle? Like what's happening in the body? So our reproduction um, and our reproductive system is essentially the most non-essential organ or system that we have in our body in that our heart, like our cardiovascular system, our circulatory system, our lungs, our brain, our nervous system are all essential to our survival like if we don't have one of those things working we drop dead and even our digestive system we won't last long if our digestive system is not working whereas our reproductive system we can actually survive without it and also if we are like if we are reproducing then we need nutrients to reproduce we need to be able to um, sustain a pregnancy, sustain a pregnancy, and breastfeed, yeah. <laughs> or, or even just be up in the night with that child. You got to have some goddamn sustenance for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> from a, I guess, a physiological standpoint, and also a evolutionary standpoint, it is the first organ system to shut down when we are restricting our intake or overtraining, which is essentially the same outcome. You know, we're not eating enough to meet the needs of our body, 
our reproductive system will be the first organ system to shut down. And I actually like to think about it in that way because it shows, I guess, the more severity of yeah. it. Like it's like your system is essentially downregulating, going, okay, we're not getting enough. Let's let's turn this down. We can't reproduce right now. There's not enough, you know, we're, we're in a famine or, you know, something's going on in the external world that's impacting our ability and it's not a safe time to reproduce. Yeah, or, or our body would not be able to safely you know, carry a pregnancy. pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it like that, that's incredibly serious. But I mean, the amount of girls who I've had come through our studios Mm. who've who've lost their periods, it's, it's not uncommon. Yeah. And I think particularly in the younger generation, it's not seen as serious because they maybe aren't thinking about reproducing having yeah. a baby at this time but they're like oh handy you yeah, know yeah, yeah. yeah but it's <laughs> which which makes sense like I get that like having a period is the biggest pain in the ass in the world but there is also other effects of not having a period so it does um, significantly reduce your bone density which is something that is very concerning for females in particular um, and can lead to osteoporosis and even a young age uh, and it also increases your risk of cardiovascular disease so Estrogen, really? yeah. So estrogen is one of the hormones that is downregulated first thing when we aren't eating enough, and estrogen is not just a reproductive hormone; like it has effects across the cardiovascular system as well as our um, our musculoskeletal bones. system. Right. <laughs> trying to think, the bones. I'm yeah. like bones. Yeah, I was trying to come up with a better word, but <laughs> but isn't is. that interesting? That something like over restriction could actually result a negative impact to your cardiovascular health because you would not put two those two together would you really you wouldn't think that they would go hand in hand no no and again this is where I guess nutrition is this really it's really simple but it's really confusing at the same time because things that you don't think like we're saying before the gut and the brain you don't think that being anxious is going to cause you to be bloated but it's so complex in that way mm-hmm. but then if we think about it in, well, what should we eat? It's actually relatively simple if we think about it. And I, one of the things I always get people to do with this is it's a little activity of if you forget everything that you've seen, like in the media, on social media, all of that sort of stuff about nutrition, everything you've heard from your friends, your mother-in-law. Wipe like, that sleep what, what does a healthy balanced diet look like to you? Most people have a relatively good answer to that. Yes. But then they're like, but I saw yeah. <laughs> on Instagram what I eat in a day is a model yeah. and I think I should model my life on that. Absolutely. I actually want to talk about – I was going to um, chat to you about it later on in our interview, but let's talk about it now, now that I've brought it up. I really like the way that you have such a distaste for these what I eat in a day <laughs> pieces of content. Um, let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I hate them because – I've seen the impact that it has. And I think that the people who are posting them, like this is not against the people posting them because I don't think that they've potentially seen the impact that it has. But girls in particular are looking at that and going, I have to eat exactly that. And if I do, I'm going to look exactly like you. Yeah. And it's not often the intention of the person posting that that's what, and, you know, sometimes they even say, oh, you know, this is just for awareness and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, don't copy me the person receiving that information is 100% copying you yeah. and 100% making the association. Like 90% of them show that, like that ab shot, like mm. lift up their, do the little ab tense before they do it. You're, you're making an association <laughs> that the way that you eat 
makes you look like the way that you look like and that but somebody else doing the same is going to result in the exact same thing, which we know is so not true. Like if you and I had the exact same diet, exercised the exact same, like we literally mimicked each other, we would not look the same. No, no. And, yeah, I hate them. Oh, <laughs> Long story short. And they're unrealistic. Like they're often someone who's like, I'm talking the level of thinness is mm. like bones are showing. Um, also the level of privilege in their ability to create a day around this routine. Yeah. Um, expensive or gifted, let's be honest, <laughs> yep. training sessions. Um, food that they might not have had to have made themselves. Um, ab- the ability to then go to bed at 8pm and sleep for 12 hours. Um, these are all things that aren't necessarily realistic for like the 90%. average Joe. Yeah. And then, of course, you need to bring into the fact that, like, you know, genetics pay, play a huge, huge role in the way someone looks. Um, yeah, I think I think that they're unhealthy too and I think that they are weirdly captivating, yeah. you know. And I think that's why people do them. I think, like, the algorithm. Oh, they're like, great, I get engagement. I'll post this yeah. again. I'll post this again, yeah. The algorithm just, like, favours them. I've even seen, like, heaps of dietitians and stuff going around them. I'm like, oh, can we not? Like, let's just not do that we don't need to make that association that you know you need to eat and the other thing I I was going to say here is it it makes it look like you need to eat that same thing every day as well because the like the implication is that this is a snapshot of what I eat in a day therefore this is what I eat in a day multiple days whereas again like I'm going to say 99% of the population are not eating the same breakfast the same lunch the same snack every single day of the week that's not realistic for again most of the population and I really like what you said about privilege around this because this is something that I'm like quite passionate about having worked you know in North Queensland and everything and and seeing a lot of you know the obesity I guess that we are seeing and these people who are then seeing that and going well that's what I have to do to be healthy when in reality there are so many smaller steps that they can take that are going to have a much more significant impact on their health and are going to be much more sustainable in the long term than copying someone else's diet. Yes. And the final thing I want to say about these, what I eat and how I exercise in a day, is that they're also often like wildly unattainable in terms of like energy output. Yeah. (laughs) Like 10 kilometre walks in the morning and then like a hit class. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I find is that there that most seems like a lot, and I'm a yeah. Pilates instructor. That 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 is that's a lot. Well, I th- I think it comes down to a lot of them actually aren't real. So most people are curating this content for Instagram. They're not actually eating that, or you know, it might be what they ate that day, but then the next day they had something completely different that you know did have a lot more calories or energy in it or the other side they're like restricting so much to achieve the way that they look and they're like this is everything i eat in a day actually i've seen there's a i don't even know who it is but there's a terrible one out there that's like a raw vegan one and it's just all these bananas like i had 16 dates for breakfast and then 12 bananas for lunch and i'm like oh my god can we not oh my god yeah it's awful that's a lot of sugar well, it's also a lot of like not protein and yeah. <laughs> not healthy oh, fats. A lot of fiber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no fat, no protein. Okay. So, I mean, I think that we've sort of started to cover this, but I kind of want to discuss what we think is cultivating this era of new age eating disorders. Instagram is one that we've touched on. Um, what else? 
I think our obsession with being healthy, and I think like you were saying, is that the government over the last probably 20 to maybe even a bit more years now has been focusing on like the obesity crisis that they're talking about and has instilled this fear in people that that that's our fault and that we are personally responsible for preventing that. And when we think about being overweight, uh, there are so many factors that go into that. So some of the things that we've already mentioned are genetics, um, but lots of other things are involved, whether it be like from your hormonal status, from your um, upbringing, so your education levels, your socioeconomic status, how much money you earn, where you live. Like there's so many factors in there that are completely out of your control that I actually think that it's irresponsible to say to an individual, it's completely on you to change your shape and size when the like, and I wish I could show you like the network of what goes into like our energy expenditure and our energy um, consumption, but like our mental health, our past trauma, like there's so many things that are involved in the way that we eat and our ultimate like shape and size that saying to somebody, if you eat like this, like, or if you change your diet, you're going to be this shape and size. So I think that that fear of obesity is something that definitely does feed into it. One of the bigger things though, I think is diet culture is it's so prolific right now. And with social media, we have so much more access to messaging around it. And we have so much more um, exposure to people in one, let's be honest, like one size, like you don't go on social media and see a variety of shapes and sizes, or at least my explore feed is unfortunately not all that diverse. Um, whereas the reality is if we look around, you know, and I always say this with clients, but don't do it in the Eastern suburbs because Eastern suburbs are an anomaly. But if you go to, you know, like we're saying far North Queensland, go to far North Queensland and you go walk around a mall or a beach or even Brisbane or, you know, the Sydney mall, um, anywhere really, aside from Bondi beach, (laughs) you look around at the shape and size of people and there is a variety of people of different shapes, sizes, colors, you know, so much variety. And what we see online is all straight sized. It's all white mainly. Like it's Mm. all this one shape, size, color. And the reality is that that's not what is actually happening in our broader world. So social media has really like honed us in on this is how we should exist in this world. And this is how we are like superior as a person, because if we look that way, we're going to be, I don't know, more accepted, more loved, more confident or all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that comes down to, I guess, this diet culture that the way that we look has more importance than who we are. Massively, massively. And, you know, I think about the importance that I put on looks as a young teen and young woman um, and it was up there and I'm so freaking glad that I did not have exposure to social media. Like I can't even imagine the pressure that these girls feel. I think that there is this kind of – I'm going to flip this all on its head now because there's also this kind of rising culture of like body positivity – um, which I know has also become a term that you're not allowed to use if you're able-bodied and white, I think. Um, someone sent me an email about that the other day, but I don't know how else to 
word it um, for our listeners, but I guess body acceptance maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are trying to um, break down this diet culture, which I think is fantastic. Um, and I think that there is a level of awareness now that what you see isn't real. Like, you know, even the models posting those pictures don't look like that. Mm. Because we've all got that girl who we follow on Instagram and then we see them in real life and we're like, oh, oh <laughs> that's you. <laughs> unusually <laughs> not the same. Um, so I think that that's good, but I think overwhelmingly, even though we know, even though we know that that girl has edited that photo or we know that if she puts one leg forward and tucks her tailbone and twists her hips, that she's going to look yep. a certain way, we still feel like shit when we compare ourselves to that image. And I think it's about us trying to level up this this battle in our minds of like, I know that's not real, but I really want to be like that. Yeah, well, and it's not even a conscious um, conversation or I guess thought process in your head and that's where it is. It's completely out of your awareness and education and there's actually been like some really interesting studies on, not in this particular space, but around uh, psychology students who are obviously aware of, you know, different phenomenons around, um, you know, if you do this and that happens and even still they will fall for, you know, the trap because that's what our brains do. Our brains try and go in a certain way. So it's not like, yeah, just knowing that, you know, images are edited unless when you are on social media, every picture you're looking at, you're going edited. Yep. No, edited. No one's doing that. Like you're just scrolling and you're getting this unconscious messaging, like this unconscious bias of that is what people in the world look like. And you're comparing yourself to them, even though you're not sitting there and going, I want to look like that person it's the exposure to that one yes. shape and size that ultimately shapes the way that your brain then goes, well, I need to be like that to be accepted because what I've seen for the three hours that I was scrolling on social media was that that's what... Everyone looks like yeah, that. Yeah, the people who look like that get more likes or more attention or more comments or whatever it is. So true. And we are like socially driven creatures and we want to be accepted and liked. So if what we're seeing, and like I said before, you know, we're not going out in the real world as much and we're not looking like around with actual people as much. It's all online where we've got this curated version. And again, we don't need to be consciously going, I want to look like that. It's just unconscious. It's just like there. it's Yeah, it's so scary. It is really scary. And I think ultimately the word here is exposure, right? We are just exposed to this constant source of perfectionism. I like to think about the analogy of, you know, our parents' generation Mm. where um, at school there might have been two or three, in quotation marks, pretty girls and everyone else looked normal and might have been on different levels of, of what we might stereotypically explain as attractive. And, you know, you might have seen a really thin or strikingly beautiful human a couple of times a week. Mm. Um, And, you know, you just kind of lived your life where people certainly weren't um, editing the way that they looked. Well, you couldn't because it's real life. (laughs) Yeah, like you couldn't. Um, And now everyone you see is the prettiest girl in school on fucking steroids because not only is she the prettiest girl in school – but she's the prettiest girl in school, plus lip filler, Botox, fake hair, fake tan, and lashes. a goddamn Instagram filter. Yeah, and lashes. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's wild. And I always laugh at those um, memes and videos and stuff where it's like, what 12 years look like these days versus what I look like. And I'm like, oh my God, that is me. <laughs> like, the bright blue, like eyeshadow that's just all over your face. Like, and at the moment you look at 12 year olds and you're like, huh, you're 12? No, they're too, they look too good. Yeah. Their eyebrows are way too nice. <laughs> Their clothes are beautiful. Even like early twenties. Yeah. And when I was in my early twenties, I was a hot mess. Yeah. I agree. I, I mean, not I still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, at Peaches, we're really into trying to break through this bullshit concept that I'm really taking a little turn yeah, here in the conversation because no, I, no, I, I, I could talk about that all day. Um, but I want to talk about exercise now um, because I know that you have a really firm stance on on this um, and I think that it's something that we have in common. Um, basically, the message that we try to put out there to young women who, who you know, it's the bulk of our audience, but but not our audience in its entirety. But what we're trying to do is break through the concept that you need to punish your body in order for a workout to have been effective. Um, and I kind of want to know, like, what's your take on exercise in terms of longevity and results? Yeah, so I think for me, exercise should be about I guess ultimately enjoyment and I know a lot of people don't associate that um, but to me exercise is about finding a way to move your body in a way that you actually can enjoy or not hate it's not about punishment it's about moving your body for so many reasons like we've got mental health we've got obviously our physical health our cardiovascular health um, and then also just feeling good like it's not even about you know the dopamine and the mental health it's literally just it gives us that confidence and that that buzz that we feel good about ourselves when we've done something like physical activity. And I actually like to use the word like movement over exercise. Cause I think there is that, you know, negative connotation with exercise that it has to be about burning calories and like mm. the higher your heart rate is the better, or the more you feel that burn or the sore you are the next day, then that means that that's a good workout. Whereas the way that I approach exercise is very much like, well, what, what is the goal that we're here for? And, Again, this is where a lot of people probably go wrong and say it's about looking a certain way. But for me, I think it's really important that we sort of broaden that goal and go, is it about getting strong for injury prevention? Is it about, you know, having a strong pelvic floor for being able to, you know, go through childbirth or something like that? Um, is it about reducing your risk of dementia? Is it about your mental health and feeling good? Is it about your energy levels? And if we broaden that, then we are able to focus on something, one that's a lot more positive, but also sort of ride through the waves of changes in our exercise intensity and everything without the guilt that's associated with it. And this is actually something that I probably did struggle with a little bit when I was um, in my early 20s. I was never into exercise as a teenager. Like I was literally fake sick on school sports days kind of girl. Like it was just not my thing. And um, when I got into exercise, when I was in my early twenties, I became obsessed with it. I just loved it. Like I loved the feeling of it. I loved the confidence that it gave me. And I trained with personal trainers and they like smashed me, like absolutely smashed me. And I loved it. Like it was addictive almost. And so I became obsessed with this like feeling of just walking out of the gym exhausted like legs wobbling like sweat dripping down from me and then with injuries and everything over time I realized that that's not something that I can do and then ultimately I've sort of peeled that back and gone well it's actually not effective because one it's not something that I can do and um 
uh, and, and prevent injuries essentially and stop myself from being able to continue to train over my lifespan. But also it's not actually reaching the goal that I exercise for, which is to feel good and to prevent injuries. So why am I doing it? It's literally just because I've been trained to think if I'm not walking out of that gym drowning in sweat or burning or wobbling my legs, that it was a bad workout. Mm, mm. So true. I think that there's also this, I talk about this a lot um, within the Peaches community. I think that there is this concept that women should be training like men Mm. and we're very different from men. We do not have, nor will we ever have the muscle capabilities (laughs) That men have. And, you know, there's a lot of trends out there. The, the, the F45s, the CrossFits, the, everything where it's just like crazy high intensity. Those forms of exercise, I think, can be excellent for men, particularly young men who have the like muscle capacity mm. to cope with that and not get injured. But I think that often women in the short term can train like that and see fantastic results, but then the and I'm talking like four or five weeks, mm. and then on week six, injury, and then from there it is just like one thing after the other. Like I can't even tell you how many women who have come through our doors at like the age age groups between like 21 to 25, and their injuries are what we would normally see. In, in people in their 60s. Wow. Knees, hips, pelvic floor, over this crazy repetitive training that our bodies just aren't built for. Yeah, and I bring that down to, like, it's a lack of respect for what our bodies can and, like, should be doing as opposed to punishing them, like you said. Yes. It's like, how hard can I push my body and, like, how like what limits can I take it to? And I think with something like F45, like, there are people that it, it works really well for, but I think, um, and I'm not singling out F45, more like those, uh, I guess, high-intensity classes, mm. is that it is something that you kind of need a base level of strength and fitness before you do, but the marketing for a lot of those places is like newbies and beginners. And don't get me wrong, I think any movement that you love is great movement, but I think with something like that where you're jumping about, like you need to have that level of like strength and stability because I could, like I literally could not do that because I just, my joints do not allow me to move in that like speed and range and everything. I need mm. to be very structured with like mm. careful with my movements and that's okay. Like it's taken me a long time to accept that. Like it's okay that my training looks different to what you might see on Instagram again. Um but yeah, I think, I don't know how I got sidetracked into no, no, that. No, no, all very valid, all very valid. And I think, and, and I want to make it clear that I'm not anti those types of training yeah. if it suits your body type. But I think ultimately, without wanting to put women in a box, there are very few women who are built to sustain that type of high intensity training for a long period of time. Yeah. And usually we would look at the genetics of the woman and go, okay, is she short in stature? Does she have a higher level of testosterone than, say, me? Does she, um, it, it, because she's short in stature, is she able to build muscle quicker because her, her levers have mm. less work to do? Like, I think that there are certain body types who, who will thrive in that environment. But, like, I will never forget having this girl come in to Peach's Bondi. This was probably about three or four years ago now. 
And she was like rippled with muscle, like absolutely shredded, strong, looked as strong as a horse and she could not move. She was in so much pain. She could barely get on her hands and knees. Um, No mobility, injuries top to toe. And she came to me and was just on the verge of tears the whole time we spoke and the whole time I was sort of trying to assess her her movement abilities and she said like I've I've ruined my body like I don't know how to get out of this like I, I I literally trained myself into the ground and I've got all these muscles but I can't do anything with them mm. and it just it made me so sad that she had thought that she needed to train like that to feel good about herself yeah um, and I really like this concept of like finding new ways to look at why you're exercising. Yeah. And new ways to exercise in general. Like we don't have to be going to a gym as well. Like, you know, dance is an amazing way to exercise and to move our body. And even for our psychology as well, I've been listening to this podcast on like, um, what is it like flow and movement and everything and how like rhythmic movement is so good for like our psychology as well. Uh, And something that we've been doing since we were like tribal. Tribal. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So like there's so many different ways that you can move and again, we've put in a box that fitness looks like this, yes. whereas it doesn't have to. Like fitness could look like swimming. It could look like running. It could look like walking. It could look dancing. It could be skipping. It could be running around after your children. It doesn't have to be this like structured exercise because that is only, again, like a very new thing when we talk about like the the evolution of a human. Like they weren't going to gyms. No, <laughs> no. And like all of the like in quotation marks, traditional gym movements are like so restrictive in terms of mobility Mm. um it's wild to me um okay so we touched a little bit on your own history with perfectionism um but I kind of want to delve into that a little bit deeper because I think it's probably something that you are able to bring to the table when you deal with with your own clients so you were saying how you sort of got addicted to this concept of of high intensity exercise being the only way and needing to wobble. Can you talk to us more about your own journey with, with, with health and wellness? Yeah. So I, again, like I said earlier, I feel like I'm a bit of an anomaly in this space because I feel like a lot of people get into like particularly dietetics on the back of having like a really, you know, obsession with exercise and well-being and everything as a child. And I was the complete opposite. Like I was, <laughs> I was a little rat child. Like I did not care about being healthy. I did not care about exercising. I, as I said, faked being sick on school sports days. I'd be the one like trying to get as much like chocolate as I can for my money at the corner store or whatever. So I think that my entry into this space was a little bit different, but I think the, like you said, the, the perfectionism was something that for me probably showed up along the way. Um, it probably was always there like from when I was younger, but for me, the perfectionism really shows up, as I said, when with my exercise previously, I've really trained myself, I guess, out of it, trained myself um, out of doing that and really changed my mindset around physical activity to, again, like I said, what is the goal? And for me, the goal is how can I feel good? What can I do to prevent, you know, injury, prevent mental illness for myself? Like I've got a really strong family history of depression and anxiety. Um, So I've been able to do that. The perfectionism is still, like I say in my podcast, I'm a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) Um, It's something that I deal with every day. And for me, it's 
a lot around work and achievement. So I feel like I um, yeah, need to be perfect in what I do and to the point where it's like it's debilitating because it's like, well, I can't, I can't reply to that email now because I don't have the perfect response yet. I need to gather all the information before I can reply to that email. And then you just get more anxiety because you're like, oh, well, I haven't replied to the email and then what's a person going to be thinking? Insight into my brain. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, but one of the things I think that it actually has been, I guess, useful for me is being able to relate with people who are like this around their food and their exercise because whilst I've never had an eating disorder or like even my relationship with like my food and my body has been pretty good like throughout my entire childhood and um, up until now in my early 30s, uh, I think that the feelings and the associations and the guilt and those sorts of things that we get from whether it's achievement or whether it's food are very similar. So it's this same, I guess, I, I, I know what that feels like and I know that that's what you're going through and it feels shit, like it it's crippling and it's not a conscious choice as well. Like you're not sitting there going, I have to do that. It's like your brain is just, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe Wired it. that way. Yeah. Babe, I relate massively. I've always had a relatively healthy relationship with food and my body and it is something that I've tried to carry through into peaches. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't know what it's like to beat yourself up. I'm, yeah. I'm a perfectionist as well. I really – it's all around work for me. Yeah. Work, um, productivity, yeah. achievement and rest. Yeah. I struggle – so badly with giving myself permission to rest if I'm not being productive I feel that I'm not being of use yeah um and not worthy like yeah yeah. and I think the thing is is that (laughs) there's also been a lot of positives to my work ethic and my perfectionism and my ability to push through because I don't think that that you know peaches as a business would be where it is now if I hadn't have had worked like a dog but at some point you do need to slow down and yeah it it shows the cracks start appearing cracks start to show and also like that's not maintainable long term I think any small business owner needs to accept the fact that if they're going to start a business there is going to be a certain amount of time likely several years where they are just head down bum up and you know what that's great. Working yep. hard is awesome. And I think that <laughs> in some ways, like this concept of hard work is sort of starting to be lost um, now. I think that, that, that now, you know, everyone's sort of like um, need, needs less and, you know, should be, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I see two sides to the table. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, whatever happened to just like good old fashioned work ethic, you know? <laughs> so I, I actually, I've been grappling with this concept as well. And I don't know whether this is related to the, what we're actually here to talk about, but it's this like, well, why doesn't everyone else work as hard as I work? And I'm mm. like, Ooh, is this a me issue though? I'm like, is yeah. it because I've always, you know, like I've gone into jobs and I would give everything like every, but that's it, I don't know. In my eyes, I'm like, as you fucking should have, because you were early, in your early 20s and you didn't have experience and you were trying to prove yourself. Uh, yeah, and this is where I grapple with it is because I agree. And then I'm like, oh, but look at me now. I'm like, as in like, not look at me now. Like, you're being too hard. I'm on being you, hard yeah. on myself for it. So I'm like, oh, maybe these people are actually got like a more sustainable, like 
approach to it that they're saying, you know what, my whole like wellness and my whole, like my life isn't about work. And if you don't, you know, value the work that I put in when I'm there, then like, that's my boundary. And so part of me is like, Oh, I respect that. But then also, I work in so- my day. I know I'm exactly the same. Sounds so old. I'm exactly the same. One day I'm like mental health and boundaries. The other day I'm like, why isn't anybody pulling their fucking finger out <laughs> and getting shit done? But I don't know. Maybe my concept of like work and career progression is old fashioned. But I think that there's a time and a place. Yeah. And you know what? Your early twenties, when you yes. don't have babies and you don't have responsibilities, is a time to work hard and to forge through. Yeah. And then you know when you come into other stages of your life. And for me right now, like I'm in, I'm in that that season of my life where I'm now a carer, and my my responsibility is to my daughter yeah. and to my husband and to the home that we're trying to create for our family. Um, but, you know, I couldn't I couldn't take those steps to not work on a Tuesday and mm. be with Izzy if I hadn't had forged Put in the, work earlier. the pavement. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. You know what I find really interesting, though, is that, like, I, I read this once. It was, like, workaholism is the one addiction that is, like, socially acceptable. And I was like... Ooh, it's so true. And it's even praised. So like you said earlier, it's like, yeah, it like peaches wouldn't be where it is today if you weren't so hard on yourself and if you weren't so disciplined and strict with the work that you put in. And I would say the exact same. Like, and people have asked me this before, like, you know, if you didn't work overtime and if you didn't work all of these extra hours and if I didn't stress myself out and lose sleep over it, would I have got to the point where I have? And like the honest answer is probably not because you need to do that if you are trying to launch a small business. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, it doesn't actually mean that it's necessarily healthy. And again, like particularly when you get to the point where you're becoming addicted to it. And again, I guess this is where it probably flips back into the orthorexia is how much is it impacting your life and your livability? And is it contributing to a life that helps you live in alignment with your values, which is something that I'm very strong about. And like you said, it might not in the short term, but if there's a longer term game, then that it can still work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, we could delve into this on so many levels. I know. Uh, maybe we'll do Six hours. we'll do another <laughs> yeah. episode on that. Um, but I think we should just kind of round this up with one of the things that I love about your um, social media and your Instagram presence. And we touched on this a little bit, but I think I would like to really finish with this message to the sure. Peaches family. Is So, guys, if you don't follow Marika, you absolutely should. She has such a wonderful approach to wellness. Um, and, you know, I don't want you guys to think that just because she's trying to break down, you know, orthorexia among our youth, that she's not, like, giving really, like – wonderful advice in terms of nutrition you know like you have made me realize that like protein is something that that is really important in my day and you know you're coming at it from a science-backed point of view as well Mm. you're not like a well-read person on the internet like you've gone to university um so your mission on social media or one of them is to stop making assumptions that a person's health is based on the way that they look Can we talk a little bit more to this? Oh, I could talk for days. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I, I, this is something that I'm so passionate about and have been literally since I entered dietetics is that we have this idea. And again, I think it comes from all of the things that we've been talking about, you know, today that the way that we look is we can determine our health based on how we look and that we should be judging ourselves on our health based on how we look. So if we're thinner, then we must be healthier. And again, I know that you probably would know this not to be true. There's you know, people out there who are incredibly thin and even like what I'm going to like in quotation marks say a healthy thin, mm. like what is that? But a healthy thin um, that are actually not healthy. Like you look at them and go, oh yeah, they look good. Um, but then, you know, whether it's their core strength or whether it's their mental health or whether it's their not able to socialise because they're so obsessed with the way that they're eating. These There's also a lot of really thin people out there who eat absolute garbage. Absolutely, you know? yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they've got no nutrients in their diet at all. Um, so I think my passion and my message is how can we focus on being a healthy version of you and really emphasising on the you because healthy looks so different for so many different people depending on where you live, your culture, your um, upbringing, your mental health, your priorities, your values, your goals. Like there's so many things that capture what is healthy and balanced for you. And I guess my passion is helping people find that and finding the confidence to pursue that in a world where we're told that we have to have a body shape that looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Love. So shall we share what healthy looks like for, for us? That sure, might be a nice little way to finish. You I go first. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I'm a very, like, values-driven person, so I've sort of had to think about over – I mean, it's been taking years for me to come yeah, up with this. Your answer's going to be better than mine because I'm going to be coming up with mine here and now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, um, for me, it's balance. And so balance is something that I've actually taken the time to sit down and define. Whether I follow through with it all the time is not correct. But um, – Balance for me is being able to be mentally healthy. So again, my history of depression, anxiety, family history, everything, that is probably one of my number one goals is to do the things that I can to prevent and protect my mental health and well-being. So that's exercising to some degree, but not being hard on myself about exercising. It's eating a balanced and healthy diet, but not being hard on myself about being perfect and, you know, le- le- I can't even talk, leaning down that orthorexia way. Um so yeah, balance is probably, if I had to put it into one word, is what I define as healthy. And what that means is not feeling pressure or guilt to do what anyone else says or thinks I should do for my health because I know my body. And I think it's leaning into trusting my body as well. And Obviously, I'm not saying, you know, ignore the advice of, I listen to my doctor all the time about all sorts of things. I'm not saying I'm ignoring that. It's just going, I know that I probably should be doing this or I should be doing that because I'm hungry at breakfast. So for example, like intermittent fasting, absolutely not for me. Like, uh, and again, I don't think it's for a lot of women in particular, another whole podcast, Mm -hmm. but um, like my body says, I wake up in the morning and says, I'm hungry. So I'm going to eat. And if my body says, have some chocolate, like after breakfast, I'll have a bit of chocolate after breakfast. It's not the end of the world. So that would be my... Chocolate after brekkie. I reckon there'd be a hell of a lot of people out there who would just be like, huh? Yeah. You can do that? Yeah. And and not like binge. A lot of people think because they go, well, you've had something in quotation marks bad, therefore your whole day is bad. It's like, no, I just had some chocolate. Then I'm going to have the next meal that I was going to have. I might have some chocolate after that too. 
You're a real chalky girl, aren't you? I actually never used to be. I used to be a lollies girl. Um, and then I was diagnosed with celiac disease and so many like the Allen's lollies and everything I can't have. Do they? Yeah, really? it sucks. I used to be strawberries and cream Allen's. put gluten and everything I these know, days. I don't understand it. So yeah, chocolate had like had to become my thing. Oh, it's way better than lollies. I'm not, is, really not a lolly girl. Um, I think for me, my the word for me would be energy. Mm. Um, Love it. So much of my – I mean – the way if I look at my life, like all of it, I need energy for creativity. I need energy to be able to communicate with my staff in a positive way. Because if I feel like shit mm. because I haven't eaten enough or I've overtrained, do you think I'm going to have patience and compassion with our staff and yeah. the ability to ha- have a back and forth? Probably not. Um, energy to create something new for the brand, artwork, ideas, messaging, copy, all of that. You could not do that if you're running on empty. Like yeah. there is no way I could sit down and write some copy that I feel is bang on if I'm not fueled correctly. Uh, you know, and of course for me most importantly is my role as a mother and a wife. Like I need energy to climb up and down the stairs with Izzy and act like a monster and throw her around (laughs) and not worry about my lower back. I need energy to be up in the night. I need energy to care enough to make her beautiful homemade food rather than constantly feeding her something out of a packet. I need energy to make food for my husband and I because that's a love language for me for us to sit down. Side note, I love looking at your Instagram for all of the food inspo. Oh, thank you. Um, I want energy so that I can sit down with my husband and and care enough to to have a really interesting conversation, to want to have sex, to want to go on a long walk in the morning. To like, you need energy for all of those things, all of the things that light up my life. Showing up for friends, being part of a funny conversation, recording a podcast, yes, working out, of course. Like, mm. you know, I need energy for everything that's positive in my life. And I do think that movement will breed energy. Like we've all been in that slump where like, yeah. oh, I can't be bothered. And then because you can't be bothered, it just feeds into the next thing. But if you just get up, move, fuel, like things just start to go in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I need to just write that down uh, yeah. and just have that word to look at. Listen you know? back to this and then, yeah, write it down. I, I highly recommend it. I did it, as I said, a couple of years ago. I wrote down, like, what are my two, I guess, core values that I like to live my life by? Again, I probably should read them every day, but I probably read them once every six months. Um, and it was like, yeah, balance. And then the other one for me is courage. Um, and so then I wrote down below those, like, what are the – how does that play out in my life? Like, what is – living a balanced life look like? What does living a courageous life look like? And, you know, from a work perspective to a, like my fiance perspective to, you know, my future family, like what does this actually look like and how can I embody this? And to me then that is success. And again, my perfectionist brain right now is like, you're lying. Like, (laughs) it's like, no, 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 you've been trying to like do this, this and this. So it's something that obviously is a constant, um, I guess redirect. So I have that to come back to and go, if I feel out of alignment, I can go back and go, these are the things that I know are so important to me. And if, whether it's from a health perspective, whether it's from a perfectionism perspective, from a work perspective, how can I bring it back to, this is how I want to live my life. Mm. Yeah. I hear you. And I feel like I keep like half wrapping this up and then getting distracted. (laughs) 
But I guess I also, maybe we should just really quickly touch on the entire flip side of this because yes, obviously this podcast is aimed at people who are taking it all too seriously and getting too down the rabbit hole. But then I also think it's just as important to look at the people who are, and we've got several of them in our lives where they're, the way that they look at even someone like me who has really quite a balanced approach to health and wellness is like, oh, it's like, oh, you're obsessional or, mm. oh, um, I have a few friends who like, they would talk about like working out as if it was a this really negative thing because it was all about vanity. Mm. And I, in my mind, I was like, I don't know how to explain to you that, that, that like, my, of course I'm. I'm vain um, to a certain extent. I'm a young woman. Of course I like yeah. to look good. I, I feel my best when I look You know, you brush best. your hair in the morning, you do that sort of stuff. Like that's yeah. all around our of appearance. Of course. Yeah. And I think that that's fine. I think we're allowed to, you know, we are humans after all. But like vanity on my list when it comes to looking after myself is so far down. Mm. Like I think for me mental health and the, the word that I've been using, energy, is it's my reason why. And I think I want to break that concept of like, oh, you, you work out because you're vain. It's like, yeah. no, I work out because A, like it can prevent cancer yeah. and Alzheimer's, but also because I just, I want to show up. Yeah. I want to show up. I want to show up with my husband. I want to show up with my kids. I want to have the energy to do all the things that I want to do. And the thing is like, if you eat like shit and you don't move your body, you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. And you sure as shit don't want to come up with something new and fun to do or meet new people. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's really hard because, and again, this is where I come back to, is what does healthy look like for you? And let's forget the aesthetic side of it because I think we need to do that because so many people are driven by aesthetics and we've been taught that we must be driven by aesthetics that we almost need to go on the flip side and go, What is healthy and balanced to you and how can we get you moving towards that? And I think the other thing is to put the blinkers on for you. So a lot of people, like you said, will look for inspiration from other people or look to judge other people because maybe – so one of the common things is that people will judge other people in areas where they feel that they are lacking. So, for example, you know, someone might look to you and say, oh, well, yeah, you work out because you're vain. But in reality, they're trying to find a way to – to motivate themselves to work out or to justify maybe why they're not working out. Like I'm not vain, therefore I don't work out. Mm. Whereas I think if we come back to this notion of health and what is health, not looking good, not muscles, not anything like that. It's literally what is health to you and how can you slowly but surely move in the direction of moving? I mean, if health is a value to you, I mean, some people just don't care about their health and that's on them. You go. They need to. Well, but your he- it is literally everything. It yeah. is the way that you feel. It's your ability, not always, but it's often related to your ability to conceive. It's your ability to to make connection in this world. Yes. Yeah. No, and I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying is that some people, like, and something that I used to say to some of my clients, is like, I, like, I don't, I'm not judging you for whether you want to be healthy or not. If you want to eat mcdonald's for breakfast lunch and dinner every single day and you say hey marika this is what i want to do i love my life i'm i I, i'm really happy with doing this i'd say okay cool that's fine no there are some risks 
you know, you might be more at risk of cardiovascular disease. You probably won't have great energy levels. You might fall deficient in these areas. But if you, you do you, like it's your life, you get to choose what you want to do with it. And if you don't value health, who am I to say, like, you have to value it. Like it's not, obviously it's my profession and I'm very passionate about it, but I can't mm. force a value onto you. Um, but I think as humans, most of us do innately value health because it is an evolutionary thing to value our health and yes. well-being. Like we can't reproduce if we're not healthy. We can't live a long and like a long sustainable life if we're not healthy. So most humans will have some innate value of health. However, there are people out there who are like, well, I just don't give a fuck. But you know what? I think we need to reframe it and think of health of like how you feel. Yeah. Because I think if people can understand, and it's amazing, again, because we live in this bubble of highly educated, overstimulated, ridiculously orthorexic people, but there's a lot of people out there who still cannot grasp the concept that if like what they put in their body and how they move their body will directly impact how they feel and how they're able to show up day to day. I feel like we've covered like the OTT health and like maybe I'll have you back and we can talk about yeah. like trying to trying to bring education around just like really basic Basics, levels yeah. of yeah. of wellness. No, and I love that cuz and that's why I said it or you said earlier, sorry, is that I feel like that's where I fit in in is it it's not being orthorexic but it's also not going oh well fuck who cares about what you eat or anything like that. It's like, no, it, it is really important. Like what you eat has a really significant impact on your life and the way that you move and also the way that you think about food and movement. They all have such an Im- significant it's impact. Such a fine line. Yeah. And so it's, it's, and again, that line is in a different place for every single individual. So it's not like going, okay, this is the line. It's like, well, this is, might be the line for you, but my line's back here or like your line might be up here. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just working out where is that? And the line might shift we could talk for hours. I feel like I'm like, do I, I know, stop? <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so it's working out for you where that line is at this in this season of your life. Because, yes. again, I'm going to go on another tangent here, but, like, there is seasons in your life, whether it be pregnancy or whether it be postpartum or when you're launching a small business or something like that where maybe health will, like, take a bit of a back burner. Oh, my God. I had a few seasons in yes. my 20s <laughs> where, like, and also for me now to be, like, a happy and healthy, fulfilled person – um, I had to have like had a few crazy yeah. years where like, you know, you go out and you sow your wild oats and you binge <laughs> drink and you, you know, you eat euros and you, you know, I can't even smell Bacardi now. <laughs> I can't smell it. I, I physically cannot smell it or double I blacks, will double blacks. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. No, I'm actually yeah. literally feeling really nauseous now. But, like, I needed to do that and I needed to have my fun so that now I can be, like, content with, like, my world of being a mummy. Yeah. Um, balance. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's where I sort of look at balance is it's not in the perfect everyday balanced. It's what is this season of my life? What are the goals and the purposes of this season? So, for example, in the lead up to launching Fueled, I was, like, not a healthy balanced person, but it was a season that I knew that I had to, like you said, knuckle down and get done what I had to do. Was I eating great? No. Was I exercising as much as I probably should have been? Absolutely not. But it was what I had to do at that point in time. And I knew that there was a time limit to it. It's Mm -hmm. not something that I was going to let carry on forever. 
and get into a habit where I'll never get back into exercise or I'll never get back into eating vegetables or preparing a meal. Yep. Yep. Oh my God, babe. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a really wonderful approach and, you know, at Peaches, we really want to advocate for your approach to health and wellness because I think that you're doing a really good job at kind of like breaking through a lot of the noise out there around perfectionism. And every time you post, it's really affirming and it's really positive. And I'm all about like, you know, preaching, preaching about a curated feed. Like let's curate feeds that are positive and that make us feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, aspiration can be, oh, like I'm going to make like a really awesome nutritious meal. Aspiration doesn't have to be like, oh, I wish my skin and hair looked like that. Aspiration can be something that's actually a really nice, positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about how you think about it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.